0: Today we've got a bike story. It's about three friends who started out with motorcycles in their teens and sort of lost touch for over 30 years, and then they got back together. And it's an interesting story about friendship, trust, and adventure. And we're also going to speak with Ian Harper, who is the co-founder and the executive director of the Ted Simon Foundation. Ian's going to explain just what a Jupiter's traveler is and how it's possible that you may become the next one. Oh, and on top of that, we have a, an exclusive from the Ted Simon Foundation, just for Adventure Rider Radio. So stick around for that. That's something you haven't heard anywhere else as of yet. And an interesting little bit of information about Ted Simon himself. So stick around. We got a good one for you. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. This
1: is Nick Sanders. I'm
2: Jason Spafford.
3: And I'm Lisa Morris. My name is Austin Vince. This is Rob Beach. I'm Rachel.
4: This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is
2: Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr.
0: This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coat. Hello,
5: here is Herbert
0: Schwartz. I'm Brett Tux. This is
1: Zoe Cannell.
0: This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Rust. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's
2: Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant
0: Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. This is Ted Simon.
1: You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Now, before we jump right into today's show, I just want to mention something about our advertisers. I just want to say how much I appreciate them and how much I think you should appreciate them too, because it's because of these advertisers that we're able to do the show. So it makes it possible for us to do these stories for you and bring you the show as it is today. So if you're looking for something, please drop by the advertisers that... That take care of the show for you and the thing is too we don't take just any advertisers we're only taking advertisers that we want to get behind that we feel that have good products that we can stand behind and we feel good about promoting so keep that in mind if you're looking for something drop by the advertisers and when you do it let them know you heard them here on adventure rider radio You know I think as most of you know we're still traveling both Elizabeth and I we're we're sort of on the road I mean I don't, I don't know how much on the road we are lately because we've been visiting our daughter and our grandson but I'll tell you we, we, it's November now and we had some amazing weather this past week or so it's a really warm weather I mean 19 degrees which is about 66 Fahrenheit so naturally you, you got to get on your bike and ride and what's happened with me is I've, I've had a broken zipper on my motorcycle jacket so I haven't been able to ride for a week or so I got desperate so Elizabeth what she did is she put the zipper together at the bottom and stitched it all up so I now slip it over my head and I can I can make the zipper work so I got on the road that one day it was 19 degrees I went for a ride think about it, November 5th for Canada for Ontario um, 19 degrees is amazing this is the time of year where in, in a lot of years, you could be looking at the odd freak snowfall that comes in, certainly, you know, cold, drizzly weather. But it's not just me. Everybody was out. There was bikes out everywhere. And as I'm going by the bikes, everybody has that common bond. You can just see it as they go by, you know, as they lift up their hand and they wave to you. And it, it doesn't matter whether they're, they're on a cruiser or whether they're on a dual sport bike or whatever. We all seem to have that common bond, that real appreciation for the time of year and the fact that. Hey, we're we're able to ride our motorcycles today. And it brings to mind the the thought process that we have with motorcycles, and and it also connects with a story that we have to tell you today about three guys that started out very young, uh, meeting through the love of motorcycles, and and then getting back together when they got uh, on in life, you could say. But it's that common bond, isn't it? About about motorcycles. It's not the motor. It's not the gasoline. I don't know. It's something to do with the. It's the sensation. It's the love of the feeling of of the whole thing of riding that motorcycle. And the freedom that it, that it gives you, even if you're not going very far, there's a real freedom to it. It's just amazing. And, and I think this story today really exemplifies that common bond that we have for the motorcycle and how it brings us together regardless of where we are in life. This story begins over 30 years ago, and it starts with a guy named Steve Mason, who's from Scotland, and he meets up with a new friend, Raymond Danton.
1: We did, it was due, well, just after high school, uh, I first met Raymond. That's Steve here. That's
0: Steve Mason.
1: Uh, so it was it a was year after high school when I was working. Uh, now,
0: Steve, being the bike enthusiast he is, he spots a motorcycle, and of course, that draws him over.
1: Happened to spy a beautiful little Suzuki GT185 across the road from my house. And when I went over to see it, uh, I found that it was it belonged to Raymond. Uh, so that, that was how we connected.
0: Now, Steve's referring to Raymond Danton, who had the motorcycle there, but he wasn't really a motorcycle enthusiast. Not yet. But still, when he met Steve, he couldn't help by being taken by his enthusiasm.
3: Um, yeah. I think he was one of the most enthusiastic bikers uh, I'd ever came across, and um, without a doubt, I think it was him that really got me um, seriously into motorcycling. I think up to that point, it had been a mode of transport, my my first mode.
0: So this is the start of it, the start of or the seed that was planted for a love of motorcycling, at least with Raymond.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. In fact, uh, I think within a week, he uh, he was uh, taking me over the back roads of Ayrshire and um, I was trying to keep up with him. And unfortunately, in that first trip, um, I exceeded my abilities and um, fell off in uh, one of the, the more extreme corners. Yeah, I think, I think at that point, I'd probably had the bike about two months. So yeah, I was still very much a learner.
0: Well, the last of the trio, Wilson, comes in just a little bit later.
3: Well, I joined a little bit later, Jim. Uh, That's
0: Wilson Hutchison.
2: um, The guys were already working in the manufacturing company. It was Digital Equipment Corporation, a great American company that uh, we all started with. So I came in probably about two years after the guys had started there.
0: So what you got is you got three guys working at one place, all of them riding motorcycles, and they find themselves sort of hanging out in the place where they park their bikes and getting to know each other.
2: There was a, a motorcycle shed uh, at the uh, at the manufacturing facility and that was a kind of a part of a meeting point, but everybody got connected through crash helmets uh, and boots and stuff that were uh, in the as we got dressed and undressed as we, we started work and finished. Uh, so I came in at that point, and it was just really through motorcycling that th- the three of us really connected. Now,
0: by the time Wilson got in there with the group, he was already an enthusiast. He already had a real love for motorcycles, so that fueled it even more for Raymond.
2: <laughs> it's always a social thing for me, and uh, it was, uh, it was in fact, I mean, a little bit of a backdrop was as well. I was pretty adamant at that point that I was never going to have a car license uh, so I thought I was going to just be a motorcycle kind of uh, traveller, and uh, all my my days. And in fact, I uh, at that time, and I'm not sure if this is in other countries, but in the UK, had uh, this little three wheeler uh, car, which you could actually you could ride with a motor you could drive sorry with a motorcycle license as well. And motorbikes have just always been a thing that I've just loved riding and whether it was to work or just uh, out and about, uh, as far as I could go, it just was uh, just a thing I always wanted to do. So for the
0: three of them, they're not only using it as a mode of transportation, you know, to get it working back, but they're also using it as their excitement. So it's their it's their regular transportation and then it's their thrill in the evening.
1: So it was. We used them every day to go to our work all the way through the winter, etc. So it was, it, was, it was our mode of transport. But then at night we would we would ride down to a a local pub, uh, and and that's where that most of the bikers would meet up, uh, and and from that that just be like a rendezvous point, and from there we would go, heading around the the, the, the beautiful country roads of Southwest Scotland. But we also spun it out and, and, and went to race meetings, etc. at weekends. So it was just, com- we're completely immersed with motorcycles. And
0: you know, here's where it really changes. Where And it's not such an uncommon story either. You hear this quite a bit with people. They've got heavily into motorcycling when they were younger, but then it sort of fell apart. And although these three guys, Steve and Raymond and Wilson, they, they kept riding their motorcycles, but life sort of took over. You know, they got caught up in, in uh, sorting out who their mates were going to be and and making a family and getting their career career started and they drift apart these the trio that was so into motorcycling together sort of go their own ways their final event really was going to the 1980 Isle of Man TT and you know a fantastic event an incredible thing for three young guys to get together and do and then they just sort of drift away
2: well I think that's when the gap came in actually because not long after that we kind of. Career started taking taking over, and and we're all getting our families, and you know we're, we're having children, and uh, still having bikes, uh, you know along the way at certain parts. But as a as as three three friends, we uh, we kind of drifted apart at that point. So I think the TT was the kind of one big kind of get-together uh, at the Isle of Man. And then after that, we, uh, we really started to go our own ways at that point. So that really was quite
3: pivotal.
0: And for Raymond, if you remember back from the start, he you know got the motorcycle before he became an enthusiast. The TT really set him off.
3: That TT trip was sort of definitely one of the first things that um, got, got me excited about um, wanting to, to see more. But unfortunately, as I think the guys said, we, we just all had more commitments at that time. And so our motorcycling uh, days have sort of faded for a, a few years.
0: Now, Steve and Wilson both seem to be a little bit more diehard, I think, than Raymond. They stayed at it. They kept bikes as part of their lives, but they just sort of went in their own directions.
2: Yeah, I certainly did. This is Wilson. Uh, I uh, pretty much had bikes consecutively all the way through and and... I was fortunate enough to, uh, to own quite a few uh, during a, that period of time. So, yeah, bikes were always uh, the number one thing, to be honest, and for me as far as uh, vehicles were concerned.
0: Now, Raymond seems to fall into a pretty common story you'll hear from a lot of people. You know, They got into bikes when they were younger. Everything was great. Bikes were a big thing. Then they got into having the family. And then you sell the bike, and it just disappears completely until much later. Um, quite the opposite from Steve and Wilson.
3: Yeah, and bikes really faded away altogether for me. Um, and it wasn't until about, I don't know, six, seven years ago that I really started getting back into uh, cycling and, and actually bought myself a new bike.
0: So Steve and Wilson sort of continued on with uh, their enthusiasm for the bikes. Um, I think Steve said there was, might have been a few gaps due to financial circumstances, but basically they stuck with their biking thing. It never really left their life. And then zoom ahead, you know, over 30 years later, somebody meets up with Raymond at a party and it somehow is the catalyst that brings the trio back together again all again through the love of motorcycles.
1: There was a friend of mine uh, had been at a party that Raymond had attended and uh, mentioned it to him, mentioned that he had his business garden, that he was living in Australia, I had no idea he was living in Australia and uh And I made contact and and coincidentally it was a very very similar time that I had uh, had made contact with Wilson as well so it's just the power of the internet of course and and, you know as as soon as we started to talk to each other, uh, for Raymond and I it was via Skype, for Wilson and I we actually met up in Glasgow. It was just like the
2: thirty years just faded away
0: into nothing. And just like that, the trio are back together, talking motorcycling and talking about what they can do. But things have changed a little bit now because now they're talking about adventure. They're talking about travel.
3: I'm just trying to think about that. And I think, Stephen, if I remember rightly, um, we were talking about doing um, a trip in South Africa where we also were going to do some off-road um, and, and rent some GS Adventures. Um and that's one of the things Stephen and I did a couple of years before the big trip, and I think that 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 sort have of really got me energised into the the idea of a, a real adventure bike, and you know. Um, doing something uh, a lot longer.
0: The big trip he's referring to is the Pan-American Highway. Um, they came over to North and South America to do this. The Pan-American Highway is a network of roads measuring about 30,000 kilometres or 19,000 miles and, uh, in total length. And it and it's goes from South America to North America through, through a whole bunch of countries and incredibly diverse landscape. It's got one little gap in it called the Darien Gap that's 100 kilometres long or 60 miles that you can't connect with. There's, there's no road there between 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 uh, South and Central America. An amazing route, though, because it takes you through so much, through so many different countries and such a diverse landscape. But before they jumped into that big trip, they did some other ones that led them up to it.
1: So, yeah, I mean, uh, we had several mini trips, uh, and I think including the South Africa one and a couple couple in the U.S., uh, and, and that kind of led us into definitely, it definitely fueled us that, that we were only going for a week at a time and we really, we fancied something a bit longer. Uh, we never actually had any discussion around any like major trip.
0: Then there's that fateful meeting, Stephen Wilson meet in a pub over a few beers, decide well they're ready for a bigger adventure.
2: Yeah, no, it was, it was great. So it was one of these kind of, we hadn't met for a long, long time and uh, it was quite coincidental that steve was actually in scotland i uh, sent him a text to say you're around because i'm i'm, I'm traveling in it. and so we went to this uh this bar it's a very famous bar in, uh, in in glasgow called the horseshoe bar and so we went there for a few beers and then we went to a restaurant and uh and over that we, we really started uh, building the discussion about you know and steve asked me he says how do you fancy doing a round the world trip and i said well that sounds great. I, I really, I've always fancied doing the, the Pan American Highway. So we decided there and then that let's do it. So uh, so that's how it came about. But just the whole going from the very bottom of the world to the very top of the world uh, just sounded uh, fantastic. So
0: Now don't forget, that was only Steve and Wilson that got together. All it took was a text. They sent a text off to Raymond and he's in and they're talking about the adventure. Now what I like about this especially is the fact that they're they're doing the no plan adventure.
2: So initially, there was no plan <laughs> other than the Pan American Highway. Uh, there really was no plan. And uh, uh, we, uh, we subsequently f- found that Steve is, and we kind of knew, but Steve is a, is a fantastic planner anyway. Uh, but uh, we just it was really all about the, uh, the, you know, the wish, the vision, and, and just the desire to go do it. And, and we're just going to figure it out as we went. Uh, or, you know, as we started to, to get ahead around what we really needed to Without do. Without officially uh, becoming
0: the planner, Steve picks it up.
1: Well, that that was, uh, what we're doing was we're, we're flying the bikes into Buenos Aires and riding down to Ushaya and then riding up to uh, the north of Alaska. That, that was the big plan. And we had a... A start date and a finish date based on a, a flight into Buenos Aires and a flight out of Vancouver.
0: So that's it. That's all they have planned, really, is is the overall idea of the trip. But the one caveat was they had to meet their wives. And we had a,
1: a, a hard target in May to uh, meet our wives who were flying over for a week in LA. That was, that was the kind of... A compromise thing that we put out there.
0: But that's it. That's right. all they really planned. Everything else seemed to be open-ended.
1: Anything in between. We had nothing really other than the first couple of nights uh, booked in a hotel in Buenos Aires so as we could clear the boat.
0: And it seems to be more of a common thing you're hearing people talk about now is that over-planning thing, you know, like not to over-plan because you make the the trip so rigid that there's no flexibility there for spontaneous things that you want to do or you discover on the trip.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, I certainly would encourage that. I think you know the experience we've going through again, I think the spontaneous thing is 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 the way to go. Uh, absolutely. yeah, and I think over planning, uh, you know it probably you know you'll you'll be disappointed because you might not do as much as you want to do or it just takes too long or, or whatever. but uh, yeah' I've been spontaneous as uh, I certainly would, would take that approach again.
3: I think for me, you know one of the most amazing things was, just getting up in the morning and you never quite knew where you were going to be that evening and then we would sort of figure out right where, where do we want to head for um and let's go but we we never really booked hotels in advance or hostels in advance or campsites in advance and i think the, the one time we did uh we got held up in some some riots in peru and i think we'd missed the hotel so that that taught us a lesson that don't Don't even book ahead, not even one night.
0: So you think about how this trip came together. You've got Stephen Wilson who met in the bar and they decide they're going to do the trip. They send a text to Raymond. Raymond says, yes, I'm in from the text message. But that's not all. When it comes time for Raymond to buy a bike, he can't actually be there. So there he is in the back of a cab late at night in Australia, bouncing along with his iPad, connected through FaceTime to Stephen Wilson, who do the purchase for his bike over FaceTime.
2: Yeah, well, it kind of started, uh, when, when I come back, I've been living in, in, in Switzerland, and I came back to uh, to Scotland just uh, back in uh, March of uh, 2013. And uh, one of the first things I did, actually, was to, to buy an adventure motorcycle, because at that point, we had decided we were going to do the trip. So uh, I had done the research and, and went for the, uh, the, the BMW R1200 uh, GS Adventure, the, the liquid-cooled version. And, uh, and really thought that was a perfect bike and, and actually was the perfect bike for the trip in the end. And, uh, you know, getting connected with Raymond, uh, you know, I said, you know, that this is definitely, you know, a, a great bike to go for. And he'd done his own research and, uh, Raymond, uh, agreed that, yeah, he'd, he'd go for one of them as well. And we got a very good deal from a uh, BMW bike dealer in Glasgow. So it was a, a bike with, with relatively low miles, uh, pristine condition and, uh, and the way it all kind of worked out is that when we went along to uh, to kind of do the deal uh, on the bike, and this is all Raymond's money, uh, is that we actually connected with Raymond uh, on our iPads at the bike dealer uh, using FaceTime, so the the Apple app on the uh, on the iPad, and he happened to be a night out uh, in the, in Sydney, so he, had, he was in a taxi at the time, so it was quite late at night his time. It was our kind of. Uh, kind of mid-afternoon or early afternoon, and we we're able to connect with him that way. And uh, we, uh, we had a chat, we shared the, the, the pictures of the images of the, the motorcycle, and uh, he was totally uh, in agreement that this is the bike to go for. And, uh, and so the, the deal was done
3: pretty much over FaceTime.
0: That's a big chunk of money to spend on FaceTime, just trusting a couple of friends to, to steer you right
3: yeah definitely um I, don't, I i don't think afterwards I could quite believe what had happened um but I was very pleased with the bike uh, the guys did a great job in finding me
0: and i can't imagine what that would be like to explain to your wife when you get home that you just bought a motorcycle in the back of a cab over facetime
3: uh, Yes, I <laughs> had one or two challenging conversations but um yeah i mean I, I think in the end she she 's come around and uh, at the end of the day you know i think i've 've come back from that trip. Um A better person, so I, I think she 's quite happy overall,
0: so Steve, the organizer gets underway. He arranges shipping the bikes to Buenos Aires, and Raymond doesn 't even see his bike or how it 's equipped until he actually arrives in Buenos Aires.
3: The guys had uh actually um got a few of the sort of essentials fitted um you know. While, while it was still at the, the dealer's, so I'd uh, obviously arranged to, the payment for that. So when we got to Buenos Aires, I think it was just one or two um, small accessories that we fitted, and we sort of begged and borrowed um, a drill and some screwdrivers from the the hotel um, and probably took us about half a day to, to get the, the necessary uh, work done on it.
0: Now, this isn't just a, a week-long trip or even a 10-day trip. This is a good long trip. You're talking four and a half months. Four and a half months. That's that's quite a long time to be away from home and i uh, you know upset your career and do all those sorts of things. The question is is it long enough?
3: I think I think for me it did feel longer. Um, i i remember thinking after four weeks um, wow it, it seems longer than four weeks and i can't believe we've still got three and a half months to go. Um, it's just incredible and yet when you're in your sort of daily routine at work you know time just seems to fly by the weeks just you know just fly in whereas i found on the trip i think partly because every day is different you're experiencing new things you're seeing new people we went through 15 countries actually you know the it's just a different experience of 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 how time passes
2: yeah i mean i think it it felt like the right amount of time you know quite honestly i i because of the, you know, there was as Steve mentioned earlier, we had we had an endpoint uh, in sight, so that drove uh, the schedule uh, in quite a rapid way. In certain senses, where we we didn't have a lot of time to maybe go visit, and we agreed up front we weren't going to do this, you know. So, for example, Machu Picchu in Peru, we we said look, we'll leave that till the time we'll do that with our partners or whatever, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll not do the, the touristy stuff. We'll just make sure we get to to a endpoint and. And that kind of drove us along the way. So we are kind of covering serious mileage every day, or kilometres, depending on what part of the world you're in. But you know, we are doing, you know, 400, 600, 400 miles, 600 kilometres, uh, many days. Uh, And from that point of view, I mean, we're pretty tired by the end of the day. Uh, Sometimes we're not getting to to places till it was way after dark. And that's something we had uh, initially said we weren't going to do. Uh, So by the time we got to our destinations, uh, particularly in the, the first month or so, uh, it, for me personally, it, it, it flew by. You know, it's certainly the early, the early stages of it. Well,
0: remember, we started with no schedule with this, but the only schedule was meeting the wives. That was the that was their their firm date, and of course, their their end date.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was perfect, Jim. To be honest, I, I just thought it was it was it was. I was never, you know, feeling that. Uh, you know, I wanted it wanted it to end, uh, but when it was ending, I was fine with that. So it was just just a good amount of time.
0: Now, when Steve Raymond and Wilson departed, they had no way of knowing that Barack Obama, yes, the president then, would have, um, well, you could say, impact on their trip.
1: Uh, when we reached Panama, uh, we were riding through Panama City, and it was the meeting of the American, all the American presidents, including the Canadian Prime Minister. Uh, and the place was, was buzzing and full of, uh, you know, military and, and roadblocks, etc. Uh, and we we pulled over to a, a little point just up, up over the, the other side of the Panama Canal Bridge to, to get some photos, but we were ushered back out on the main highway by armed guys looking very angry. And uh, unfortunately, I was in, at the end of the uh, convoy there, and when I came out, uh, a minibus over Took me and as it passed by me, it uh, shunted me off quite uh, forcefully. Uh, and it turned out it was uh, it was it was guys that were there, uh, s- security guys there from Barack Obama. So the security guys were all whisked away, and Wilson, who had stopped, was told not to take any photos. And uh, my bike was now a, a little bit of a mess, but uh, rideable, just rideable. So we got out of it okay.
2: No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a scary moment because we had stopped. Uh, we specifically asked the guys who we were going to be staying with that night, uh, some of our friends of mine, uh, to, if we could stop off and take some photographs of the, uh, of the Panama Canal. And there's one particular vantage point just off the highway where you can actually do that. And so we pulled over to do it. And as we, we did, there was police everywhere and they said, you're not stopping, get back onto the highway again. And the highway had just, they'd been stopping and starting the highway as the motorcades were you know, getting on the road and, and heading to where they were going. And it just so happened as the director was back onto the road that the highway had opened again and it was just a floodgate of cars and they were traveling at pace and it was three lanes and uh, there was no, respite i mean there was just no space between the cars so when i raymond pulled out first and he managed to get you know in and, and into the traffic flow and I, and I get in kind of a little bit behind that and i saw steve coming along and, and trying to get in and as he said this this uh mini van just come over and shunted him off and i saw it all in my, my rear view mirror and it looked really bad because it was just the bike went over both sides it was just and uh first thought was you know how, how bad is Steve going to be injured here and uh, so immediately stopped and um, uh fortunately uh steve was you know his his bike uh, boris uh, the name mm-hmm. of his bike was uh, was looking uh, pretty scraped and bashed up but but fortunately steve was up on his feet very quickly you could see his uh his clothing was at a few tears and stuff and rips and in, in, in his bike suit but otherwise and he's obviously a bit shaken of course by the, the whole trauma of the thing but he was uh fortunately and uh in, in good health. So so that was uh, that was the most important thing so and then you know a whole lot of things ensued after that because very quickly the police uh, were on the scene and uh, they were starting to, so basically the, the, the minivan driver it was uh, as they say it was part of the, uh, the kind of support uh, for the Obama administration uh, they, they were whisked away very quickly from the minivan which had been scraped up down the side where it shunted Steve off uh, but the police came on the scene quickly and were demanding documents, and uh, and that was uh, that was the start of some challenges we had because we one of the things that we might have said that I didn't say it outly is none of us uh, are Spanish speaking. I uh, had very we such limited Spanish, so when you're in a, a situation where you really got to know what you're talking about, uh, in this case in front of officials like the police, uh, it was uh, it became very very challenging. Uh, so we um. We were fortunate to be able to contact Raymond, and he came back with one of, of one of my friends who's a, a Spanish speaker, a very fluent Spanish speaker, and he was able to uh, to help get us out of a, what would have been a, a really tricky situation with documents.
0: And anyone who's traveled by motorcycle for very long realizes it doesn't take long before you slip into a routine, and the, the routine feels really good.
2: Well, the day was, you know, was a, a kind of, you know, mixed up. First of all, a, a lot was, you know, we tried to camp as much as we possibly could. Uh, you know, we'd all had tents and all the camping gear with us. Uh, invariably, we, we we did a mix of uh, of camping and, and hostels, but we'd get up as, as early as, as as we could and uh, get ourselves together. But the, the whole mission was we pretty much agreed the night before where we wanted to get to by the end of the following day. So that, that kind of drove the agenda. So the day was very much getting up, you know, getting breakfast, get the bikes prepared, and uh, all the luggage back on again. Everything checked out, check the bikes, and then then just get going, you know. So it was just just hit the road as quickly as we possibly could, uh, and that's kind of pretty much what it was every day for the uh, for the duration of the trip.
0: Group dynamics are important here because if you don't have a group that that works together and is willing to give and take, then you get a little bit of friction, and then it just seems to get worse as the trip goes on. So it's important if you. If you You decide that, you know, as you ride along that one wants to stop, the others sort of have to agree to stop. There's a give and take there. And and that's one of the great things about riding with people that you get along with.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I think also we did try and, um, you know, if we saw places of interest along the way, we'd stop um and and sort of try and get off get some photos um get get a bit of a rest and and there was a bit of a contrast i mean as as Stephen and wilson have already said we did we did quite a lot of high mileage in the early days especially the first month um and the temperatures were cooler then but i know when we got to central america um it it was very hot it was very humid and I, i remember when we got to um ecuador And I think we only managed about 160 kilometres on our first day because it was just so hot and the road conditions were such that you just couldn't make the sort of planned progress that we'd we'd hoped.
2: Well, I think if it's on the language side, I mean, I think we're really fortunate from that point of view in in a couple of dimensions. First of all, the... uh, I think the, 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 the message is always smile. You know, if you, if you smile, someone's going to help you. And, and invariably, they always did. You know, I, we never really got into a situation where language became a problem at all. Uh, there was always, you know, it was very nice actually going into some of the, whether it be in rural Bolivia or uh, Peru, Ecuador, as Raymond mentioned. I mean, always, you know, there was in Chile, there was always people there and there would be invariably at least one excellent English speaker who would really help you out and and they would also become the translator because the downside of not having the language is everyone of course wanted to know your story, wanted to know where you would come from, where you're from, where you're going, a little bit of your background and that's where we, we did fall short because we just didn't have that linguistic ability to to converse in Spanish but there would always be an English speaker so uh, I'd say don't let language put anybody off because just smile and, you know, accents are a great thing as well. And you're probably picking up the Scottish accents from all of us here. Uh, it, it just doesn't do any harm. You know, we just, uh, we, we're able to get by quite easily, uh, quite honestly, just by being ourselves.
0: And of course, every trip has its adversity. And Steve certainly had his already with his run in with Barack Obama's escorts. But he has another one in British Columbia. And his wife doesn't know yet, probably until she hears this.
1: A bit of a problem. I, I haven't told my wife that Jim, so...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I was... By that time, Raymond had, had gone ahead uh, in L.A. because Raymond's wife, uh, obviously, is, is working as a teacher and, and there was still term time in Australia, so she couldn't get off. So Raymond Ra- Raymond continued ahead to bring his bike bike back down to LA to ship it to Australia. So it was just Wilson and myself at that time. So we were coming out. Uh, we come out of Vancouver and we camp just above Squamish, uh, and then we're heading up. Uh, I think it's called the the Sea to Sky Highway, is it? I think we call it. Yeah, that. that's right. Maybe. and And uh, it was a kind of coldish morning. Maybe had a kind June dew in the air, but uh, yes. Uh, I hadn't encountered a wooden bridge before, and, and when I did, I found that it was quite a slippy thing. Uh, I slid off, unfortunately, uh, and I, cranked, I, I cracked the, the side of my uh, engine casing, uh, which resulted in a, an oil leak, which resulted me in me I eventually having to limp back to Vancouver for repairs and then head back up again.
0: I don't know about you, but in my head, I, I can picture Steve's bike after all of this being, well, a bit of a piece of junk, but um turns out it's not quite that.
2: I can vouch for the fact, that we call him Boris. Says uh, Steve's bike. Uh, it's a two thousand and nine uh, GS uh, air cooled uh, twelve hundred, and and it's now as immaculate as the day it left, and it was immaculate when it left for the trip. Uh, and Steve has uh, has got that bike back to to what it was, and uh, it's going so strong. I mean, it, it looks like new. Uh, but it definitely went through its paces. Uh, Steve uh, was not being uh, necessarily over uh, gentle with his bike <laughs> in a sense, and it wasn't always, uh, certainly wasn't in, by intent. But uh, Boris took a bit of a battering uh, along the trip. Uh, he definitely was the hero of the trip, I think.
0: In an effort to help the greater good, the trip wasn't just about the three guys, they also raised some money for Deafblind Scotland.
1: Yes, that's correct, yes. Yeah, we raised uh, over £6,000, $10,000 maybe. And we're still trying to raise yet. We're doing speeches and stuff to raise money. We continue on.
0: Now, the trip was interesting enough and had enough ups and downs that Steve thinks it's going to make a good book, which he's writing right now. And Steve also has another book out called Ride to the Midnight Sun.
1: It's a little Kindle book uh, called the, the Ride to the Midnight Sun uh, and that was about a trip that I did solo up to the Nord Cap, and, and it was all about, uh, what I was trying to say in that book was you could have an adventure without doing anything big, I actually use the very words, I say you, you don't need to ride the Americas to have an adventure, and not realizing I was going to go and ride the Americas, uh, and, and I've, I've also, I'm, I'm in the process of just finishing off one on, uh, on this trip. Uh, which, which the guys don't know the title yet but uh, I can exclusively reveal that it's it's llamas llamas bananas and bears is the title <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think that's actually quite good, because uh, we saw llamas in the southern part of the trip, we saw bananas in the middle, and uh, bears in the top, in the north.
2: Yeah, no, it and was, it was really interesting, because I think the first time we really got some exposure to, to bears at the roadside was was uh, in British Columbia, and on the way down to Stuart, uh, we started to see uh, these bears. We'd heard so much about them, and... Uh, I have to say, the first trip down, there was a lot of snow at the side of the, not on the road itself, but at the side, and the bears were there, and we thought, wow, you know, these things, uh, they don't look small, you know, (laughs) so uh, the first night we were were intending camping, and uh, just as as it was getting a little bit dark, and uh, we hadn't quite figured out the, the land properly, so we did end up staying in a, a small hotel that night, but uh, I was actually quite glad because uh, I wasn't ready for the bears at that point. But you know, a few days later, we, we, we did do the first camp out, and we'd been speaking to a lot of people about you know what you know, make sure you keep all your food out of the way and all the rest of it. So uh, we felt kind of comfortable, you know, starting to you know get into the, the camping thing with the bears. And, and to be honest, I think maybe we would do a glass of wine as well at
0: night. So. That's an interesting one I have not heard yet, that uh, to be safe from bears, if you just have a glass of wine at night, takes away the fear, therefore you're safer.
2: Uh. Uh, it didn't really feel too bad, you know. And uh, but I have to say that you know the the, the whole bear thing was actually quite a nice dimension to uh, to, to the camping in the end. And uh, there was nothing untoward happened or anything like that. But I think you always just have to be a little bit, you know, get your to do a little bit of groundwork intelligence make sure you know where you're going to be camping speak to the site owner and they, they give you some advice but uh, no, at first it was quite intimidating I have to say uh, so from a in quotes, wild camping uh, in bear country uh, I wouldn't be too much in favour of it personally
0: Of course all three of them, Steve, Raymond and Wilson are all from Scotland so they're going to be slightly biased but even after riding the Pan American Highway and various other places they've ridden they still think Scotland has a lot to Offer. So it was interesting to get their perspective on what it's like to ride in Scotland and what you could expect if you went to ride.
2: And I think we've all done so much motorcycle riding around the world uh, in different places, uh, certainly parts of the world, but Scotland is one of the most beautiful areas to ride. And I'd recommend, I think we all would recommend everybody go ride in Scotland uh, whenever you can, particularly the Northwest, the Highlands, the Islands, uh, but all of Scotland, beautiful. Uh, it's British
1: Columbia in miniature. So you, you can ride it, uh, you know, if you have seven days in Scotland, you can see an, you can see an awful lot. It's got a, a fantastic mix of coast and mountains, forests, lakes, or lochs as we call them. Uh, the road surfaces in the north are, are all pretty good. There's not an awful lot of police up north. Uh, it, it's just, it's a fantastic place to, to ride. You, you can't really get access to dirt roads readily in Scotland. It's 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 a shame because there are dirt roads, but uh, they're all they're all privately owned. They're owned by forestry commissions, and they won't they won't readily let motorcycles on them. Uh, so, but it, it's paved basically.
2: No, is it maybe a little plug as well? Because you know, it, it, it's a shame because there's a you know there's a, there's what they call green lanes in, in England, which has some fantastic off ride uh, off road riding you can do there, but. Raymond, uh, Steve and I, we we did have the good fortune, before we went on the trip, uh, one of the few places in Scotland where you can do quality off-road riding is in in an area uh, called Argyll, uh, in uh, in uh, in Scotland, it's a beautiful estate, uh, it's owned by the Duke of Argyll, and there's a a guy there called uh, Clive Rumble, who's set up a company called uh, uh, Motor Scotland, and uh, basically, uh, he has become quite successful in uh, getting people up there to do off-road riding on GS650 uh, motorcycles that he provides. It provides all the, uh, the, the riding gear, uh, stunning scenery. Uh, you get the water crossings, you get the braking and severe mud. You, get, you do everything that you, you need to be able to do to do the kind of trip that we did and, uh, and Clive is, is, is just um, is, is a fantastic guy and, and he really gave us a lot of confidence uh, for the off-road stuff that we actually did on, on the trip there on the Pan American. And uh, that, that, uh, that, that just kind of the experience we had there is we, we just say, gosh, we wish we just had this on our doorstep. We could do this every day. But unfortunately, you can't. But, you know, anybody in Scotland or even, you know, if you're a, an accomplished rider going up to spend a day with Clive is, uh, is just even the scenery itself and, and the tuition and everything fantastic but you know there's so many things you can do in scotland as far as as riding you know as steve mentioned the locks and the the roads are in, in reasonable condition and the further north you go actually the better they are because it's less populated up there you don't have the potholes and stuff like that but uh, just you know not just on the mainland but one of the, the lovely things about scotland is doing island hopping uh there's an institution caledonian mcbrain is a, is a ferry and company that, that does uh, a lot of routes across to the islands, uh, whether it be Mull, uh, Sky, Skye, you know, Shetland, I mean, there's so many, uh, just in these islands are sizable in their own right, uh, that there's just the diversity you get is, is amazing. One
0: thing that surprised me too, was that I didn't expect camping for some reason in, in Scotland, but they do, they have camping.
2: Yeah, we have a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic uh, camping country. Yeah, I mean, th- I mean there's so many. There's a lot of quality campsites. So I gonna... was
0: surprised that they're really into camping, but what really surprised me was wild camping. Again, something I just, I didn't picture with Scotland. I'm, clearly, I don't know much about Scotland.
1: No problem. And also, wild camping is completely legal in Scotland, again, as long as you're sensible and, you know, don't camp in someone's garden. But, but I must say, Jim, that I do miss not having the bears there when I'm camping in Scotland. I genuinely do. I
0: think they <laughs> and as it goes with things that we love like adventures, once you've done one and it's great, well, you plan another one and that's what they're doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, Steve mentioned, you know, he hasn't told his wife about this yet, but um, I'm, you know, just starting to have discussions about, you know, uh, there's something that's very intriguing about Mongolia and Siberia and, and, and that part of the world and, and it's it's accessible, you know, we could pretty much drive all the way from almost home with one uh, relatively short, ferry crossing. we could uh, we could get all the way to uh, to to Mongolia. so uh, that that's definitely uh, the one that uh, appeals most at this point in time.
0: You can find out more about Raymond, Steve, and Wilson by dropping by our website and checking the show notes for this episode. And the adventure continues for Steve Mason, Raymond Danton, and Wilson Hutchison, who uh, originally got together when they were in their teens uh, all over motorcycles. That was the common thread. And now, over 30 years later, they're back together again and having even greater adventures and enjoying life. So it's a really cool thing, this common thread we have the motorcycle. So think about that next time you ride past a bike going the other way. Doesn't matter what color or make or what they're doing, that's a common thread. It's a motorcycle. Hey, stay with us. We're going to have Ian Harper up in just a few minutes and talking about the Ted Simon foundation and how you might become a Jupiter's traveler or just find out more about the Jupiter's traveler. But first we're going to pop over to the good adventure company and talk with my friend, JJ Lewis. Well, I'm speaking with JJ Lewis, of course, from the good adventure company, JJ, how's it going?
5: It's going great, Jim. Great to always be on uh, your show. And, um, love love the hits that we're getting from people that are uh interested in what we're doing.
0: Well, and it's November now, so that means it's it's almost spring, right? I mean, the the riding season is almost ready to to start again. Yes,
5: that's, that's that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas Christmas is coming though.
0: Well, th- th- that's a very good point. Christmas is coming, so that definitely brings up motorcycle products. What's been happening with the good adventure company as far as new products go?
5: Well, we're really interested in and in Stuff that we will use and that we will ride on our own bikes, as as is kind of our our mantra here. And uh, we're adding Enduristan, uh, which is a a Swiss company uh, that makes just excellent gear. Um, we're selling some some of their tank bags and uh, and their saddle bags, and uh, something that we're really excited about u- using.
0: So, what's the deal with them? What what makes them so great? as far as you're concerned, especially for the panniers, let's look at the panniers first.
5: Well the monsoon threes are hundred uh, percent waterproof and, uh, and, they, and they're, they' they affix to the bike uh, with, with straps um, just similar to um, you know I would say like a kind of wolfman uh, but they also um, the rock straps sec- hold it securely but give it a little bit of movement um, and it has a, it, it rolls at the top um, the insides are red which is unusual but the bright color actually helps you locate, your gear, and there are three little organizers on the on the bottom part um, of the monsoon threes, and it holds up, you know, uh, twenty five to thirty uh, liters um, on each side. So they do they do carry a lot of stuff.
0: Well, the nice thing about it is just when you look at it in the photo, though, I think the first thing that jumps out at me is it, it's, there's not a lot of straps and things. It's a very clean system. It's got the two that go across the, your seat. I mean, you could even put them under your seat, which is what I do sometimes. And I'm obviously a big fan of, of soft luggage. And then it's got the simple front strap down. I assume there's, there's one on the back. Very clean looking setup. But I'll tell you, I love the sound of the red interior because that's one thing that, that I do find. There's no doubt. My, I always think my bags need an LED light on the inside.
5: Right, right. You can locate you can locate what you need to locate, um, and I just like the waterproof aspect. You know, I, I love I love the Wolfman Rocky Mountains. That's what I ride on my uh, GS Adventure. It's they they have a huge huge uh, cargo, um, and it's really nice to have the the dry bag inside. But with these, you don't need a dry bag. <laughs> um, they do offer um, some smaller bags that are orga- more organizational bags um, that you can put in the Durastand. Um, that are oil-proof and, and gas-proof and those kinds of things that help you organize. Or if you have some dirty clothes, um, you can stick them in those bags, and, and they fit right in the small compartments on the bottom.
0: Yeah, and the neat thing about soft bags, I think, is when you, when you drop the bike, first of all, they, they rarely get damaged. But if you do damage it, you really just patch it, much like you would patch a tube.
5: Right, right. And the Endura stands, it's three layers of fabric, and they have some high-impact plastic involved um, you know, just in the structure of them. So, you know, they're pretty robust.
0: What's happening with the uh, the, the Copper Canyon trips for next year?
5: Well, we have um, a Copper Canyon trip, and that is in February uh, of 2016, of course. So um, we're planning on uh, February 13th through 20, And uh, we are, you know, it's not going to be the typical guided trip where you've got everything um, fed to you and everything just perfectly planned out. This is um, a Copper Canyon adventure, um, and so we, we kind of believe in safety and numbers. Uh, we're not really going to go in, in, in any crazy, unsafe routes, but this is um, you know, kind of the cartel country, if you will, and that's kind of part and parcel of going down there is that you run into um, interesting characters, and it's not like the United States. It offers a sense of adventure um, uh, like no other. I've been down to the Copper Canyon a number of times, and I, I love the, the challenge of taking a big bike off-road, like I've said before. Um, but the, the challenge here comes in the, in the route uh, with the folks that you're going to run into. Um, and just, it is Mexico. And so you have to be flexible in terms of your timing um, and uh, the people that you meet. But it is going to be a great adventure. And we're going to have you know, the stops planned, hotels planned out. Um, you know, people can f- uh, feel safe that, you know, um, that I'm going down there and a number of guides that are going down there with us have been there, know the territory, can speak the language and have contacts. So it's going to be a great, great adventure.
0: I like the sound of that because that, that's like you say, that's a real adventure. You know, you're you're getting the, the guided trip, but you're getting the taste of adventure with it too. You mentioned hotels though. Is, is it camping as well?
5: Um, we are not going to be camping down in the Copper Canyon. Um, we are we have hotels planned. And, uh, so, you know, there is that, there's that sense of that safety at night, you know, you want, you want to be, you kind of hold up in, in a nice place? And, and it's also fun to go out on, on some of these towns and, and experience the culture, uh, and experience the food. Uh, that's just one of the, my favorite parts about going down to Mexico.
0: How many days is this trip?
5: So it is going to be about, uh, six or seven days. So yeah, six, six nice. nights is what we have planned.
0: Okay. So if somebody wants, hey, and you know what, before, before we talk about how you get signed up for this, I was just going to say, just to remind everyone what the good adventure company is set up for, you're taking a portion of your profits and you're donating them to good causes, which, which sort of leads us into another segue because you have been supporting loss for a reason, but you've got something else in the works as well.
5: Yeah, yeah, we do. We do have of something but this trip exactly for the Copper Canyon, we are going to do um something uh for the school down in Batopilas. Um and um we have not have that do not have that figured out yet, but we are going to use our profits to actually use it for the kids in the Copper Canyon. Um when we go down there, we load our saddlebags up with candy and stickers and the kids you know, it, you're, you're, up in the, you're up in the middle of nowhere in this just beautiful country. Children come out of the woodwork. You know, you know some of the gates, you know, are, are like cattle gates. You know? So you go to open the gate, and all of a sudden there's five or six kids sitting there, and they're like, dulces, 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 where's your candy? So we, we, we love the kids down there, and uh, we'll, certainly we'll fill our saddlebags full of candy, but uh, we want to do something that's going to help the school. More stateside, we are going to be doing some trips on the Navajo Nation. And uh, many folks, many adventure riders go through the Navajo Nation and they stay on the tarmac. And they're like, you know, this is a uh, Indian reservation and, and, and uh, you know, we want to treat this as such as sacred and those kinds of things, not go where we're not supposed to go. Um, you can get a, Nav- a Navajo Nation backcountry permit that um, the folks on these trips will get. So I can take you to some places that will blow your mind. And we're partnering with, you know, we, we want to support loss for a reason. And lost for reason and Good Adventure Company want to support um, an entity called Navajo Yes, um, which is it stands for Navajo Youth Empowerment Services. And they've been around for about 20 years. And it's a long term nonprofit organization. And they do marathons for the kids. They do something every summer called the Tour de Rez, where they um, have you know, a number of kids with bi- a bicycle trip all around the Navajo Nation and they stop you know in window rock they get to meet the president and the vice president of the navajo nation and they really get to see something wider a uh, deeper perspective and the volunteers on this organization are just you know top shelf folks that have been working on the reservation and the schools and the clinics volunteering um, you know for decades so it's a, it's an organization that I'm excited to support and so our guided trips on the navajo nation will support navajo yes and we will actually be staying with Navajo families. So if you choose to go on one of these excursions on the Navajo Nation, we will be staying with a Navajo family and camping on their property. Um, they will be teaching us about traditional Navajo culture, and we will be perhaps having Navajo fair, for example, probably slaughtering a sheep, um, you know, talking with a medicine man or medicine woman, having uh, folks get a real-life experience that they would – Uh, wouldn't get anywhere anywhere else.
0: Wow, that sounds really amazing. Because uh, yeah, like you say, you you couldn't get that otherwise. You you know, the the really neat thing about that sort of thing is that in recent years, as far as tourism goes, and there's there's been a big push on for. I mean, what happens is a lot of companies go into places and they'll run trips and then they sort of leave, and and it's like they enjoy the place, but they don't give anything back. So there's been a real push on, uh, well, for companies to to think about things they can do to give back. And this is amazing, you know. I mean, you're giving back really heavily in into the the community that you're using and you're really connecting with them. I mean, it's a, it sounds like a, a really good trip. How do they sign up for all of this for the, your trip that you're, you're going to do supporting Navajo? Yes. And the Copper Canyon.
5: If you go to our guided trips page on a good adv.com and go to guided trips um, at the bottom of the page, there's a, uh, a, a place where you can kind of uh, fill in your name, what trip you're interested your email, your telephone number and comments. And so if you're interested in going on any of, these, any of these trips, go to our guided trips page, go down to the bottom, fill in those, uh, those, those places there, and we'll get back to you.
0: I, I just absolutely love the idea of these trips. I think that's really neat. Well, that is fantastic. You've got an exciting year planned.
5: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we want to support the community, um, and we will definitely support the people that uh, we're staying with. And, uh, you know, Lost for Reason is, is, continues to be a, an entity um that we were working with on the reservation and this is something with loss for reason and good adv that we're, we're going to support together and you know make it a better place uh step by step person by person trip by trip
0: well keep up the great work jj that's fantastic so to find out more about the endurance stand bags or any of the bags because you guys are heavily into soft luggage good hyphen adv.com and uh that's great jj and thanks very much and we'll talk to you next time we get you on here in a couple of weeks
5: Thanks, Jim. And also, if they uh, want to use the uh, 10% coupon, uh, just do the ARR on the uh, coupon portion, and you'll get 10% off.
0: So on the checkout, you just enter ARR. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes as well, in case anybody forgets they can go there and check for that. Thanks, JJ. Thank you, Jim. And now we're going to learn about the Ted Simon Foundation, Jupiter's Travelers, what they are and what it takes to become one, and how you can help out with the whole program if you just want to get involved. Well, I have Ian Harper from the Ted Simon Foundation. Ian, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio.
4: Well, thank you very much, Jim. It's good to be on.
0: Nice to have you back. I mean, last time we spoke, I think, it was just for a short while. Um, it was for Ted Simon's birthday.
4: It was indeed, and I was leaving a very silly message, something to do with two-buck chuck, <laughs> which I know yeah. vexed you, and but hopefully it made Ted smile.
0: Well, I actually I, I did look that up, and it seems to be some sort of um, uh, cheap... Uh, was it cheap wine?
4: Yeah, t- cheap wine that... Um, Seems to satisfy Ted's uh, lust for, for, for real Burgundy when he can't get the proper stuff. So yeah,
0: <laughs> nothing like a nice glass of cheap wine. <laughs> so the Ted Simon Foundation. Let's start right there. And can you tell us how the Ted Simon Foundation came about?
4: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, so it goes back to the the back end of 2010, and there were a number of different people contacting Ted independently. We didn't know each other at the time about various ideas to do with, well, to do with Ted and Jupiter's travels and the effect that that had had on, the positive effect that that had, had on a lot of people. And it, I suppose the the real catalyst for it was uh, Chris Miles, who's one of the other co-founders of the foundation, had talked to Ted about having just got back from a, a motorcycle trip across China and his Traveling companion, as he put it at the time, was a copy of *Jupiter's Travels*, and he'd got in touch with Ted to say that this was great. This, you know, this this book had a big effect on me, and it it stayed with me across China. You know, I'd I'd really like to sort of give something back. And do you have a foundation I could contribute to? And Ted's response was something along the lines of, um, "What's a foundation? I'm not dead yet." <laughs> and. Uh, and that started a conversation. And then, then I'd contacted Ted about something else, and one or two other people had done similarly. And Ted got us all together. Uh, so there's myself, Chris, uh, Erdem Yusel, and uh, Kate Kilborn, plus uh, plus Ted as, as well, of course. And we we started talking and throwing ideas around about what this foundation idea could be and what it what its purpose might be if we could put something together. And What the foundation has become is is the the offspring of those early conversations. Um, So it's it's now four years old. We, we, We officially launched on the 38th anniversary of Ted leaving London on the 6th of October, 2011. So that was that was 38 years since he departed on what eventually became known as Jupiter's Travels.
0: The book has really been the trendsetter um, for adventure travel, hasn't it? Not, not that Ted was the first either, because we had Ted on here. And for those of you who haven't heard it, go back and, and look at our previous episodes. We had Ted on here and and he told us about how travel came to him and how he came to be riding a motorcycle, but... The book that he wrote afterwards, this book is—it's not only that it's about travel; it's the way it's written and and the, um, the ideas that it puts out—that seems to have just, well, it's it's kept the book in print for all these years and still keeps it in print.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's from an adventure motorcycle point of view. Um, I mean, Ted has always said, and I think he said in that that last interview he did with you that you know he he doesn't think of himself as a. As a biker, that's quite incidental, really, as far as he's concerned. Um, you know, he, he enjoys riding, but he's he's not a biker in the in that usual sort of sense. Um, it was just the, the means to an end. But Jupiter's travels brought the idea of travelling by motorcycle overland for a long distance and over a long period of time into the public consciousness in a way that previous journeys undertaken over many decades before Ted did his. Hadn't done. Um, it had just it just came to the um, public awareness more, um, and part of that, as you say, is that *Jupiter's Travels* was very accessible as a story, regardless of the fact that it happened to involve a Triumph motorcycle. Um, in fact, something that I think, and I won't try and quote him, but the, the gist of something that Ted said in that last interview with you was talking about um, where people are perhaps relating tales of what they've done on their riding adventures I think this was in the context of talking about blogs versus more conventional travel writing and where blogs and social media posts and so on tend to be relatively superficial in their in their depth and it's about it tends to be very much about the riding or the falling off in in some cases as opposed to looking deeper at what may have been discovered along the way you know during a journey and, and Jupiter's Travels was very much about that, that more significant um, depth of, of, of meaning and of discovery. And, and you know, Ted was the, the lens through, that, through which those discoveries were made and that he was able to communicate to the, to the world through, through the book.
0: And it does seem to be the book that people read when they get into adventure motorcycling. Actually, I'm sure that many people read it just for this, the, uh, the sense of travel, even aside, the motorcycle aside
4: yeah very much so i think it's um I and mean, it has to be said not not everybody gets on with jupiter's travels i have met at least one person that says they don't enjoy it yeah. but there's got to be an exception that proves the rule um I, I think for the most part it's it's seen as as being that defining uh, defining work as far as written work is concerned for the, for that kind of journey and it just so happens fortunately to have involved a motorcycle and and that spawned um all sorts of other people wanting to do similar things
0: and what became of your ideas you you're sitting around talking about what you could do with the Ted Simon Foundation. Um, what did it end up becoming
4: well we've got um in, in fact we we 're going to give adventure ride radio the uh, a little bit of an exclusive in this we we're, we're announcing ten new Jupiter's travelers um in the next few minutes um, once I stop wittering on about to answer your question Mm. so uh, that's going to bring us up to 120 Jupiter's travelers Um, so these are people who have applied to be involved with the the foundation have this lofty title of Jupiter's traveler and and these are people who are doing some kind of substantial journey and that might be of a few months or it might be of a number of years and it might involve uh, right you know um, Traveling by motorcycle, or it might be hitchhiking, or cycling, or walking, or driving a four x four. It's we're not we're not just about uh, not just about bikes, but these are people who, who are undertaking or have undertaken some kind of fairly significant journey and have got a a, um, a very clear idea about the sort of story they want to tell. Uh, most of them have perhaps gone on a journey, have come back, and have you know much like Ted did in a way have experienced the world and and, and want to, to share those experiences with people uh, either through writing uh, or filmmaking it tends to be one or the two or sometimes both and other people perhaps set off on a journey with a specific uh, theme of uh, a theme that they want to follow so for just as one example uh, we've got a guy from uh, from England called Chris beard who's hitchhiking from um, from his home in the UK to Hong Kong and he's just somewhere on the border with China at the moment and he's hitchhiking the whole way uh, and obviously that makes an interesting story in itself but he it, it has this underlying theme that he's investigating um, because he has an interest in in climate change and the effect that climate change has on on communities in different parts of the world. So that's the sort of thread that he will be uh, talking about when he eventually writes a book and uh, makes a film. I think, in fact, it's making a film in, in Chris's case that, it, that his is his main thing. So th- there is some kind of theme sometimes, but it's very much about telling telling a story in order to um, illuminate places, cultures, um, political regimes, it might be, you know, whatever, but to, to give the audience for uh, for a book or a film a different perspective on things that perhaps they had only otherwise learnt about in some limited way through mainstream media. And that comes back to to really answering your question about what, from the original idea of the foundation to what it's become, uh, and what we set out to try and do was a a key idea that Ted had, was that he wanted to, in some way, in in some small way, realistically, try and counter, try and be some sort of antidote to... Uh, the generalizations and the, the misinformation that tends to be prevalent in the mainstream media. And that is all that, for the most part, is all that people consume in terms of information about things which are, in inverted commas, foreign.
0: So the purpose uh, of the foundation as it sits right now, is is that to, to help um, give introductions for the people that become Jupiter's travelers? Or what, what exactly is the broader sense of it then?
4: Well, in terms of the the, tra- the kind of support that we give these individual travellers, um, it's very much about the the projects that they the creative projects that they want to work on after a, a journey. So, in the case of um, well, actually, both with with writing and and with filmmaking, um, and but this extends into photography and other things as well. Uh, but whatever the creative project is, it's it's helping them to. As, as best we can to to develop those ideas and turn them into a, a publishable product, if you like, that can be consumed by a, a wider audience. So if we take writing as the, uh, the more common example, most people come back wanting to write a book of some sort. So we have lots of contacts uh, within the publishing industry and various places through... Um, uh, through the the committee of advisors that we have uh, and i can talk about some of those as examples um, and we can uh, give advice on uh, the editing process and we can you know review manuscripts and you know give direct feedback on um, on what works and what doesn't uh, and who to talk to you know what, what editors might be might be available to help how to think about the self publishing route or the traditional you know being published route um, and putting people in touch with uh, with people that can help them with those things um, so we'd, we'd, we're not funding journeys we're not funding um, publications or funding film productions it's very much about giving advice and um, and supporting people through the process in you know in, in very practical ways and then also helping and this is perhaps where we're we're of most obvious. Um, use, as far as anybody in the outside world would see, is is promoting uh, the travellers both when they're out doing journeys, but also when they're coming back and they've produced a book and uh, or a film and, and want to uh, want to to get the word out about it so that people can uh, can read it or see it and and get the benefit of of what those stories are about.
0: And when you're helping promote them, what sort of things are you doing?
4: Well, of course. Um, online, online promotion is, uh, is is pretty fundamental. The um, so you know, social media channels, the the foundation website. Um, but I think you know yourself and the other um, media partners, media and event partners that the foundation have, uh, have play an absolutely crucial role. Um, and of course, I should thank you for for having lots of Jupiter's Travellers and and advisors on the show uh, on, in previous episodes. So when, you, you know, take you know, Graham Field or Bernard Smith or the, the Borden family and Daniel Rince and, and others that you've had on, when they're, when they're able to access, have, have this sort of introduction to, to people like yourself or, um, you know, ATV Moto or Overland Magazine, or Horizons Unlimited, or Overland Expo, and you know there's a long list of people that are involved either in the media or in, or in events or both that are um, are willing to to help out to, with the promotion of what these people are doing or have done in order to spread the word, and that's tremendously valuable. Um, and then of course the advisors themselves. So we have this committee of advisors who. Uh, as the, the name suggests, give advice when they can on the subjects that they're, um, that they're expert on. So these are all experienced travellers in their own right. Um, and again, you've had some of them on the show. So uh, Lois Price and, and, and Austin, uh, Walter Colbatch, uh, Carla King, Sam Manicom, Jeremy Craker, Simon and Lisa, um, and, and, and many others. So when somebody comes on saying, OK, well, I, I really want to make a film... And I've got all this footage that I've been choosing for the last three years. Now, what do I do with it? And what's the process? And what are the things I should consider? What are the the steps I need to go through? And who should I talk to? Then we can put them in touch with, you know, right off the bat with half a dozen people that have done it all before, um, you know, to a professional degree and have had success in producing films and uh, getting films in film festivals and, and the like, and say, right, we'll talk to these guys. And they will, you know, be able to steer you in the right direction. They're not necessarily going to do all the work for you. Um, most, in most cases, that's not how it works. But they can certainly give advice and very practical information about how to proceed. So you're not going to have to reinvent the wheel and and figure it all out for yourself from scratch.
0: It's almost a bit of a mentoring system, isn't it? Where you, you know, you have access to these people who, like you said, have been successful doing what you're looking at trying to do.
4: Yeah, very much so. Uh, and in some cases, that it can be a fairly light touch and in other cases individual advisors have, have very much taken individual Jupiter travelers under their wing and done tremendous amounts of work and this is all voluntary don't forget um the, the foundation is an entirely voluntary um resourced um thing so um so when when these advisors who you know have their own um their own work to, to be thinking about their own livelihoods, to, to be thinking about, are uh, giving up a, a lot of time to to help these Jupiter travelers. That's you know you can't really put a value on that, um, and and I think that's where that combined with the, the promotional support that we can that we can give, and, and access to this this international community of the travelers, Jupiter's companions, the advisors, the the media partners like yourself. You, you know that's that's a It's a potent mixture for people to be able to access, uh, which ordinarily would be, you know, just wouldn't be available to people.
0: So in a day-to-day effort, you're really helping people get their stories together, giving them guidance, connecting them with other people, um, networking with them. But the overall sense of it is that you're you're really trying to, to raise, I guess, the the awareness of um, of travel and uh, travel in a, in a deeper sense, and maybe a more real sense where uh, people aren't listening so much to the um, the news. For instance, if you used Iran for an example, you see a certain thing in the news, but it's something completely different in reality. That's that's the higher sense of the purpose of the foundation.
4: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's, uh, what it's about.
0: You have a, a committee of advisors here, quite a number of them actually. And um, what does it take or how did you find your advisors?
4: Um, they're all people that we know, either myself or Ted or um, a collection of us, through the, the adventure community, if I can call it that. Uh, most of them are, are, are bikers. Uh, there's one or two exceptions to that, but uh, most of them uh, come from the, the the adventure motorcycle community and I suppose you could and i mean this in the in the most complimentary way that they kind of represent the the usual suspects to some extent so there are lots of well known authors and and filmmakers who are well known because they've written books and made films about motorcycle journeys and have, have built reputations around. Uh, about around those experiences and their talent as as authors or filmmakers, um, so we've tried to pull those people together. And again, I'd stress that you know it's all done on a voluntary basis, in order to give other people the benefit of their of their experience and their their individual talents.
0: For someone who's going on a trip or planning a trip or maybe has completed a trip and they're interested in becoming a Jupiter's Traveller, um, first of all, what does it take? How should they decide whether they should apply or not? And then how do they apply? Uh,
4: well, kind of answering both bits at once, on the, um, on the Foundation website at uh, org. there's a, a, a section that's um, talking about applying. And you, you can go in there and uh, we give some some brief but pointed um guidance on what people should think about before they they fill in the application form uh, which very much relates to the you know, obviously there's some basic details about the kind of journey that they that they're on or planning or the, that they've come back from um and how they made it and what their objectives were but it's what we really want to get to is what's their idea of of comprehension of the world of their experience and then how they want to communicate that and of course given that we're interested in people writing books and making films and so on then it's 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 that means of communication that is is key so so going on the going on the website and and filling the form is the short answer but but to do so after giving it a lot of thought first
0: so you're not into just giving out stickers, you know, for people to put on their gas tanks and say, oh, I'm on an adventure, I'm going to be a Jupiter's Traveler. What you're looking for is you're looking for people who are going to go on to a higher purpose. They're looking to do something with that journey um, to disseminate information about travel.
4: Yes. Well, not necessarily about travel, but the, the, the results, and results isn't even quite the right, the right word, but the results of travel. It's what they, what they learn about the people they meet or the places they travel through and, and as much as anything of what they learn about themselves that's often the most interesting thing of all um you know it's very much about people um learning learning new things and then sharing what they've learned with other people through through the medium of of a story of some sort um so yes a higher purpose i mean all of these these sorts of phrases do sound a bit airy fairy and and potentially uh fall into the trap of sounding pretentious but then that's certainly not meant in in a pretentious way it's uh, it's it, but it is trying to get at that that more useful core of of what people can get out of adventurous travel rather than just the travel itself
0: I like so much the idea of the Ted Simon Foundation and the Jupiter's Travelers because, you know, if you were set up to give people a chunk of money to to go on a trip and do something, that would be a a completely different picture. I mean, it sort of reminds me of that saying, you know, you, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a meal, you teach the man to fish, you feed him for life, and... And really, what you're doing with the foundation is you're not just giving them something that's going to help them onto their trip. You're getting them uh, in a position where they can do greater things. And I just think that's that's really fantastic. And it's, it's such a nice thing. Tell me about Jupiter's angels.
4: Jupiter's angels is uh, well, it's a very good idea, uh, which has. Um, has yet to, to fully take off i think that would be the the fair way of putting it so jupiter's angels is a a, a corporate membership scheme where people or businesses can um effectively um sponsor the foundation they can contribute to the fu- the foundation in financially um as a form of of corporate membership and obviously there are a variety of, of benefits to them of, of doing that association with the foundation and uh, Uh, and and a variety of other things. Uh, And we've got a few people that have um, uh, taken steps in that direction, and we would very much like more people to do the same.
0: And you have a page right on your website. It's easy to find in the the top navigation. That You can just click on that and find uh, the link for Jupiter's Angels. And certainly for a company, um, I mean, of course, there's the two things I think you want as a company. One, you want to give to something, you know, give something back sort of to the community. And the other is, of course, promote your product. And it seems to me like a great way to accomplish both Ian, you mentioned there's going to be ten new Jupiter's Travelers announced. Do you have those names?
4: Shall we do? Yeah, let's do the list, shall we? Um, yeah. Actually, be- before we do that, we should also mention, if I may, Jupiter's Companions, which is the uh, uh, the the individual uh, membership.
0: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. The
4: foundation, um, because many of the the advantages that or the benefits that that the Jupiter's Travelers have, um, although they're they're front and center, they're the the names, if you like, that that, gets, that get all the promotion and the, uh, the fame and glory and, and all the rest of it, Jupiter's companions also get access to the advisors and to what's going on with the Foundation. And if you're somebody that's that's read Jupiter's Travels or if you're in the, the adventure motorcycle world or, or adventure travel in some other way and you'd like to um, have some of the same benefits as being a Jupiter's Traveler, but without that high profile, um, including access to the advisors and and so on then the jupiter's companion membership scheme is is perhaps something to consider subscribing to it's um it's a few dollars a month it's you know it's very very modest from a from a financial point of view but it uh, it gives people access to quite a lot
0: okay and now for the latest 10
4: so the big uh the big announcement so this is um exclusive to adventure ride radio on the on this particular podcast so we have 10 new jupiter's travelers uh we have nine uh motorcyclists and one cyclist they come from six different countries uh, and should we should we do the canadians first we've got a couple of canadians
0: oh, that's very and, kind uh, of you
4: well you know <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've had me on the radio let's, let's do <laughs> canadians first and some of these names are, are will be known to others, and uh, some are, are perhaps new. So we've got uh, Dave Coe, Dave Coe, known as Dave Coe, and uh, Alberto Lara and Naomi Tweddle, who I believe you've had on uh, on the show before.
0: I've ridden with them actually.
4: Excellent. So, uh, so those guys are are in. Then from uh, we've got a couple of Brits: uh, Derek Mansfield and Tim Hull. Um, Derek is, uh, in fact, is launching a, uh, his his new book, or his first book, at uh, at Motorcycle Live in uh, uh, in England at the end of this month. So that's that's good timing. From Germany, we have Alex Conrad and Rolf Langer, uh, Massimiliano Perella from Italy, Walter Estrada from Argentina. Uh, so they're all of the uh, all the motorcyclists, and then. Uh, Um, cyclist, and we'll not leave him out, is from Spain, and his name is uh, Christian Ponceres de Brouwer.
0: Very nice. Wow. So you're up to 120 Jupiter's
4: travelers now. That's 120, yes, indeed it is.
0: And when the projects are completed, do you showcase them on your website?
4: Um, We try to. um, In fact, that's uh, worth mentioning that in terms of the because the, the Foundation has limited resources and those resources are are voluntary, we tend to work on the basis that we will, will give as much help as we possibly can when we can and when we're asked for it. Um, so there is uh, some uh, some onus on the, the Jupiter's travellers to, to come to us and say, look, I'm this is the stage I'm at and I really need help with this or can you do this for me or can you put me in touch with such and such a person? Um, and if they don't, if they don't tell us what they need then it's hard for us to to help so that's something that any of the existing jupiter travelers or all the, the the 10 new ones should should bear in mind if they happen to be listening to this is is do ask when you you know when you when you need help because otherwise we're not going to know and then you'll um perhaps uh, perhaps miss the boat and we'll have missed the opportunity to to have some kind of contribution to what's going on uh, but yes uh, we'll uh, featuring things on the website, uh, and of course, you know, Facebook and Twitter and uh, and all the rest of it, and um, and then again tying in with um, with the media partners yourself, magazines, uh, events going on, um, uh, you know, Horizons Unlimited, Overland Expo, uh, the Overland event uh, in the UK, and and others. The more exposure we can give uh, these people, the better, because that means that their audience. Is uh, is potentially larger, and that's what it's all about.
0: Ian, do you have some examples of um, projects that are happening right now?
4: But there isn't probably isn't time to talk about all of them, but to give a few examples and to give them some some promotion, since that's what it's about. So um, Helen Lloyd, who is known originally as, as a cyclist, but has recently turned to the dark side and has this uh, gone to, to motorcycling. Um, <laughs> I think she'll she'll still cycle, but she's. Uh, literally just got back from uh from a, a motorcycle trip um through the balkans and is in the very final stages of editing uh her second book which is about uh, a cycling journey through siberia in the middle of the winter Ooh. which is uh is interesting i've i've read um a fair bit of that and it's it's a fantastic read helen has a, a has a real talent for for writing she has a, a very lovely uh, writing style um anna mcnaffe is back from uh, running the length of new zealand she's writing a book uh, joe rust is writing a book and is serializing bits of it i think on uh, on facebook john beardmore is making a film about his four by four journey through the stands and uh, and heather ellis um who's one of ted's uh, uh, old friends in australia she's uh, got a publishing deal with uh publishing australia for her her book and that's that's been a long time coming, so that's that's great news for her. And then in terms of others that are, are still out on the road or, or recently returned, again, this isn't everybody and it's not in any order, but um, uh, Gonzalo Luz from Portugal, and I've probably mispronounced his name, is uh, has returned to India, I think, for the second time, and he's somewhere in northwest India exploring around on, on, a, on an enfield. Um, Ed Gill is, I think, in Bishkek at the moment um, and is... Uh, just a few days away from uh, moving towards trying to cross the cross the mountains um, on his bike, um, so that's going to be cold. The, uh, the adventure trio Sandy, Terry, and Jack Borden—they're uh, they're back in the states after their trip uh, down through the Americas, and uh, they've recently been at the uh, the big uh, uh, the big motorcycle show in uh, in Florida, and they're now making their way back towards California, and, and I know they're going to have. They're going to have an amazing book between them. I think probably Sandy will be the main author of it, but between them, that's going to be uh, that's definitely going to be one to, to look out for. Um, Danielle Murdoch uh, has uh, just a couple of days ago become the Australian Young Adventurer of the Year in a very fancy uh, ceremony uh, down under. Uh, Danelle Lynn has just finished um, a couple of weeks ago finished her um, uh, potentially record-breaking. Uh, motorcycle journey round uh, around the states um, including nipping into Canada and and up to uh, up to Alaska um, she's spent a year on the road um, on her Bonneville uh, exploring the states and she's got a book planned I believe um, Jeffrey Pulnaya from Indonesia is now back in Indonesia after f- I think it's something like four hundred and twenty thousand kilometers around the world over a number of years again by motorcycle and we should also mention. Uh, now, this has absolutely nothing to do with motorcycling, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Sarah ooton who is a remarkable young woman from from England, has today, literally um, about six hours ago, finished um, a 25,000 mile human powered journey around the world by uh, kayak, bicycle, and ocean going rowing boat, and she. Uh, kayaked back under Tower Bridge in London um, earlier today, completing wow. our journey.
0: Uh, information on all these people, can it be found? Are there all links on your website?
4: Yeah, on, on the uh, the Jupiter's Travelers main page, again, which is accessible off the uh, the menu on the website, uh, gives links to um, to all of the, the the travelers, and it's grouped by those that are traveling, those that have published something, and those that are perhaps somewhere in between. Um, and there are links to their websites and Facebook pages and Twitter accounts and and so on.
0: It's a really great place to find a lot of adventure, isn't it? Really, I mean, you, you go to the foundation website and you sort of look through at the stuff that's going on, then you find out where they are on Facebook and you follow them on Facebook. It's a it's a nice central place to to find things that are happening.
4: Yeah, I mean, and that's. Um, <sighs> hopefully a nice side benefit and I think that's I mentioned earlier this this idea of this international community of of travelers and it's that wasn't particularly intended uh, when we first set out to to create this thing but that's what it's ended up being and it's very much a self-supporting incredibly positive community as well so the travelers talk to each other and to the advisors and the advisors talk to each other and the Jupiter's companions and then you know they all meet up at events and they're supporting each other with their um their creative projects i mean that there's a, a bunch of them um in london i mean this could have been anywhere it happened to be london completely off their own back nothing to do with uh, with me or anybody else said right we we're, we're all kind of fairly local to each other let's get together in a london get together in a london pub once every uh, month or so And let's just help each other with where we're at with our book writing or our filmmaking or our journey planning. And let's just share ideas and experiences and help each other out. And, you know, hopefully other people do similar things.
0: Ian, when I spoke with Ted Simon, when I interviewed him um, not all that long ago, he'd mentioned about France. And I I vaguely remember him saying something like um, that uh, it's possible he may move back to France. Do you have any news on that?
4: Well, indeed, yes, he has uh, advanced that plan. He's, he's uh, I mean, I should be careful not to talk for Ted, but based on, on what he's uh, he's put online and what he's, he's said to me uh, separately is that the, uh, the moving back to France is a, is a definite intention rather than a, a vague idea now, and he's found two places that um, could fit the bill in the south of France not far from uh, uh, Montpellier. One is very much within his uh, within his means, and he could live there quite happily and uh, while away his time. Um, but he's come up with an idea for a, the, the, the second place, which is is a larger, um, slightly more expensive property in the same sort of area that would meet his means in terms of um, why he wants to be there and having a having a new home and so on. But where there is some some extra space that he envisages being uh, or having the potential to be um, a sort of creative retreat specifically for Jupiter's travelers. It's in a, a little village called uh, Aspiran and he's, uh, he's launched a couple of weeks ago, he launched a, a fairly low key, but, uh, but quite interesting crowdfunding campaign. He didn't not, not with Kickstarter or Indiegogo or any of those things. This is just on, on his own personal site, um, jupitalia.com to encourage people to, to donate to this creative retreat idea in order to help him buy this this bigger property that he wouldn't be able to do on his own um so that jupiter's travelers have a place to go that's quiet and um you know where they can write their books or edit their films or whatever it might be tap into ted's experience in the process and also into the experience of um of two publishers who are also going to share space in the in the same same building so that's a really interesting opportunity for Jupiter's travelers and, and for, the, you know, for the foundation as a whole. And it's something that Ted wants to do off his own back. So this is not a foundation project, I should stress. This is a Ted personal project. Um, and he's, uh, he's hoping people will, will contribute to it. The, the last I heard, and this is by the time the podcast goes out, this will be slightly out of date information, but I think he's had, um, 22 or 23 people, um, donate to the project, back the project so far. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the the tally is beginning to, to rise towards what he what he wants to achieve. So if people are interested in, in supporting that, then I'm, Ted, I'm sure, will be very grateful. Um, and the Jupiters Travelers, eventually, if, if, uh, if they uh, get to take advantage of it. So, uh, so yeah, jupitalia.com um, and look for the uh, details of aspiran.
0: Well, that's great stuff. Well, Ian, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about, um, well, about everything today, but uh, mainly about the Ted Simon Foundation and Jupiter's Travelers.
4: Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure.
0: Ian Harper is the Executive Director of the Ted Simon Foundation, and you can find out more about the Ted Simon Foundation by dropping by their website, www.jupiterstravelers.org. And, of course, you can always go by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and check out the show notes for this episode, and for all the episodes, for that matter. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles Outfitting adventure riders since 2002 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com That's maxbmw.com And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Ah, yes, comes that time again. That about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. Of course, we hope you like listening to it as much as we did making it. I know I want to say special thanks to our advertisers for Max BMW and Best Rest Products, great companies, and they support Adventure Rider Radio. Special thanks also to Elizabeth Martin, our co-producer. And, of course, don't forget to drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Send us your show comments, your suggestions for upcoming shows. Drop by iTunes. Give us a rating at iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, wherever else you can find us. We're trying to get on all those things. And it's really neat. You know, it's neat connecting with everybody. I love getting the feedback. It's really neat how everybody can just come back and, and give us suggestions. And we get a lot of them. So we get some uh, show postings that uh, for upcoming episodes there on Facebook. We're asking for input. Drop by there. Check that out. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe.
5: To Adventure Rider Radio, and this is Tiffany Coates on the line from Land's End in England.